We are now in really the second to last week of our sermon series that is taking us through the letter, the book of Philippians, entitled Becoming. And as we have been talking about this theme of becoming, uh, we are addressing that our lives are in this process of becoming one thing or another. And how Philippians is this letter that is calling us for our lives to become like Christ. And as we talk about becoming, I think that this can be somewhat of a difficult concept for us to fully understand or for us to fully uh, engage with. uh, Because becoming is a process that takes place over time. Uh, To become something, to be formed, to be uh, taken in a shape of something. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one big moment. But it happens in the big and the small moments of our life. It's an ongoing process that over time shapes our life to become more and more like Christ. And so the Christian journey, the, the Christian faith journey that we are invited into that Paul maps out for us is this process of faithfully, obediently following after Christ and seeing our lives become more and more like him over time. So this week that I saw on the news uh, that brought great joy to my life. Uh, it is the video of the b- big melt of the freezing snow and ice coming undone. Take a look at this short 45-second video. This is filmed from the top of the John Hancock building overlooking Lake Michigan. And as the sun came out this week and the temperature heated up, you can see that the ice began to shift and melt over time. And as each chunk of ice begins to drift away, if you are like me, you can feel your soul rejoicing a little bit. This movement of time, the ice that has been formed over the dead of winter is now breaking through to bring life again. And I think that this video is mesmerizing uh, for various reasons, but one of the reasons I think it most is captivating is that in order for a big shift to happen, in order for something to become undone, it takes time. It's a process. Uh, We saw at the beginning of that video a big chunk melt away and drift away, but then it was just small chunks of ice that began to move slowly over time. Our life of becoming like Christ doesn't happen in a single moment. It's not a single prayer and bang, everything is going well in our lives. Our lives become like Christ in the moments of shaping our lives over time. It happens in the large moments, but it also happens in the small moments that occur and begin to shape us. So as we look at the shape of our lives here today, we find that we usually find our joy uh, come in the large moments of life in the ending of a conflict in our job or our relationship, in the resolution of a problem that we have been carrying with us, in the uh, triumph of a victory in a long process of struggle. But today in our text, the Apostle Paul begins to point out that though we find joy in these large moments of life, the joy that he is calling us to is actually to find joy amongst the struggle to find joy in the suffering, to find joy that doesn't come at the end, but to the joy that sustains you in the moment 
of your struggle, to find joy in the small moments of God's faithfulness carrying you. Uh, My sermon title today is Finding Joy. And as we look at a life of becoming like Christ that occurs over time, the question I want you to ask specifically today is what causes you to celebrate in Christ? Uh, What causes you to be led to rejoicing in God? How are you finding joy in your life as you go through conflicts that exist around you? Our text today that you heard read by Julia is from Philippians 3, 1 through 14. If you want to join me there, whether on your phone or on whatever app you use, or if you have a Bible or want to use the Bible in the seat underneath you or the one next to you, we're going to be on page 981. As we've been looking at Philippians, uh, we have continually been pointing out that Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to this uh, church in Philippi that was in this region of Macedonia. And as we've been looking at large chunks of this letter, and we're rapidly really progressing through it, uh, we find that the common theme in this letter is this tone of encouragement that fills the entire writing. Uh, Paul is writing this letter as he sits in prison, and yet he doesn't write with this sobering tone of suffering, woe is me. But instead, uh, Paul is writing this church that he clearly uh, cares for. And he's writing them to spur them on, find joy by becoming like Christ. And so he directs their heart with this aim, that as a church they are to adhere to the advancement of the gospel of Christ by first following Paul's example that he lays out for them, and last week uh, to follow Christ's example that he has embodied for us. And this week, uh, we come to this direct, uh, really, guidance of word from Paul. He tells us that we need to rejoice. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Uh, It's the same word for joy that uh, occurs all throughout Philippians. Paul has been using this over and over again to talk about being glad, to talk about having joy. But it's this word that guides us to the last two weeks, the last two chapters of Philippians. He is beginning to address where we are to look for our joy. And so this week, as we talk about finding joy... Uh, what we see from Paul is that he directs our vision and our hearts not to find joy in what we would assume, but to find our joy in really unlikely places. And the first thing we find in our passage today is that uh, we are to find our joy not in our status, but we are to find our joy in the Spirit of God. Uh, Paul quickly begins by calling us to rejoice But then he briskly moves into some frank and harsh warnings. Listen to verses 2 through 3. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Paul starts out by saying, look out for the dogs. I think that this is quite a biblical line. Uh, Dogs in this culture uh, were not viewed as these house pets that 
bring joy in so many of your lives, uh, almost family members. But in this society, they were really the equivalent to rats in a city. They were wild creatures who would run around and eat from the garbage. They weren't viewed highly. And this term dogs was really slang used by Israelites to talk about Gentiles in a downcast way. They were unclean. They were dogs. Paul starts with this glad tone, rejoice. But then he turns and says, look out, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What is Paul talking about here? Uh, What we see that Paul is talking about is that there are people in and around this church who are saying that in order to fully live a life in Christ, uh, you were to wear, you had to have a certain status to be able to fully live into this identity. Paul is talking about these identity and status markers that are are characterized in the Old Testament of becoming an Israelite. Uh, When he refers to mutilators of the flesh, he is pointing to those who are saying, in order to live in Christ, you first need to embody the law of the Old Testament. You have to, in a sense, become Jewish to receive a certain status. And one of those identity markers outwardly for men was to be circumcised. So Paul is saying that there are those in this culture who are saying in order to follow Christ, you need to have a certain status, a certain outward looking appearance. But Paul is calling this all to an end and he's saying, no, all we need is Christ. Now in our current moment, I don't think that we have this same sort of pressure. I don't think people are pressuring you to be circumcised or look a certain way. But I do think that at times we feel this pressure to have to obtain a certain status to be considered or deemed good in God's eyes. We have this need inside of us to have to look successful in order to live into this identity that Paul is calling us into. Uh, Matt Chandler in his book about Philippians He says, who are the dogs? He says, they are those who say, I'm not as bad as you. They want to use that as some sort of evidence of their superior spirituality, their higher quality goodness, their unassailable morality. They are, in fact, scattered in the imaginations of their prideful hearts. Um, The dogs are those who use their spiritual status in this posture of comparison. And the temptation to find our joy in our spiritual status is this temptation to live with this mindset that if we do enough, we can earn a higher standing with God. That if, in fact, we act as those who are superior in our spirituality, we can rejoice in how good our lives are becoming by our own doing by what we are striving and forming by ourselves. The trouble is that if we rest in our status, then it becomes easy for us to think that we earn what we receive from God. But what Paul is drawing us to is, no, we have to leave this mindset and realize that all we receive from God is not because of us, but it's through Christ in the Spirit. Paul is calling us to find joy, not in what you earned, 
but in what you have been given. And it's this mindset that begins to change the whole way we live. Because if we live with this mindset of needing to earn, then we're going on our own strength. We're trying to prove it by ourselves. But when we move into this posture of receiving from Christ, receiving from the Spirit, then we are empowered by the Spirit in us. Uh, Paul is saying that we are to become a people who worship not by our status, but by the Spirit of God in our lives, by the glory of Christ. We are to become a people who uh, are found in the Spirit driving us and not boasting on the status of, look at what I have achieved. Now, recently, uh, in our family, our, our kids uh, got these new GPS watches that uh, track their steps and uh, track their activity. And so our boys have used these watches, and if they achieve these set goals in their life, uh, then they get these coins or these rewards that they can use. Here's a picture of my son. He's literally sitting in his chair just moving his feet, hoping that the watch will count this as steps so he can earn the rewards he's trying to get. And what this has done, this, this healthy thing that was supposed to encourage our kids to activity, has really turned into a, an item of comp- competition between my two sons. They try to beat each other in how many steps they take, and usually at the end of dinner, our discussion is saying, look, I'm all the way at 57 minutes of activity, you're only at 45. Look at what I've achieved, you've barely done nothing. And I think of this image because we're often tempted in our lives to live by our status of what we have achieved, about what we have accomplished. Uh, Look at my job. Look at my success. I've done this. Look at my wealth. I have earned this. Look at my education, my family, my stuff. Uh, Paul is warning in this status that in God's kingdom, It isn't about your earned status. It's not about your racial standing or your Jewish heritage. It's not about what you have accomplished, but it's about what the Spirit has given you. And to hammer this point home, uh, Paul begins to list his qualifications of boasting in the flesh. Listen to verses 4 through 6. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What Paul is doing is saying, look, if if you want to compare status in the flesh I was born into this Israelite prominence. I was circumcised. I was part of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, Paul's listing his qualifications to have confidence in the flesh as a way to counteract and point the church to saying, this isn't what you should be striving for. But instead, you're to find confidence in the Spirit. Listen again to verse 3. He says, for we... We, the church, are the circumcision. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. As those becoming like Christ, 
We aren't to be a people who boast upon our status, not in how we have accomplished all of these things on our own, but over and over again in humility, we're to come and find ourselves boasting in what we have received from the Spirit through Christ. Our lives in Christ are this new outward sign in a weird comparison. He says, this is the new circumcision, being marked by Christ inwardly that is revealed outwardly through the way that we live. We worship not into family privilege that we were born into, but into the spirit in which Christ has invited us into. We find glory not in our social status, but in Christ. And what this does is it calls us away from letting our current circumstances dictate our joy in life. Instead, Paul is emphasizing that we find joy in Christ despite the present circumstances we are going through because it's not in our control of what we have earned, but it's in what we receive in Christ leading us. It's what we receive through the Spirit of God in Christ, life, death, and resurrection. Find joy in the Spirit. Uh, second, Paul begins to point out that we are to find joy not in gain, but in knowing Christ. Listen to verses 7 through 8. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count it at, as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The progression that we see laid out in this passage is that all of the status markers that Paul had before Christ, he is saying, he counts this all as loss in comparison of knowing Christ. And I think what Paul utters here is a powerful word, but it's also hard for us to be in line with. Paul is saying, whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Uh, just like those that were finding joy in their status and things they've earned, uh, Paul is saying you can't find your joy in what you have gained or what you can gain all by yourself. All of the gain he once had, all of the hard work of Paul's life, the hard work of rising to this high ranking in this religious social class, all the discipline it took for him to, to work his way up to becoming a Pharisee, all of the hard work it took him to get to that point, he says he counts it as loss compared to the supreme worth of knowing Christ. And just like in Philippians chapter 2, we see this repetition of where we set our minds. Because what we set our minds on begins to form our lives. So, so Paul is saying that knowing Christ is greater than anything we could achieve or gain on our own. Don't boast in anything else other than knowing Christ. And I think this is a powerful image that Paul is giving us. Uh, we get from this text this image of a scale, where on one side of the scale, uh, Paul is putting all of his accomplishments, all of the things he has earned, all of the things he has gained. He's saying, this was my life. I was a ruler. I was a righteous person. I, I persecuted because I believed that that was God was calling me to do. And, and I thought this was all gain. But on the other side of the scale, he, he puts knowing Christ, and the scale dramatically shifts that all of the things we assumed 
should give us status and wealth and gain are lost. They don't even compare to the heaviness, to the wealth of knowing Christ. It's so much greater than anything else. And I think that this can seem like a scary or a threatening image to us. In an unhealthy way, we can say, what do you mean, Paul? I worked hard to get where I'm at. It wasn't easy. I wasn't born into privilege. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I sweat and I struggled to get where I am. I fought with difficulty to earn these things. And now you're calling me, in a sense, to give this up for the sake of knowing Christ. But yet, in reality, what Paul is telling us is freeing to us. He's saying you don't have to be captive in this chain, in the cycle of life of sweating and working hard to earn something, when the greatest thing you can ever receive is free to you right now to know Christ. Don't get lost in the game of fighting and difficulty. You can grab hold of this freedom today and knowing Christ in your life, and it's so much greater than all those other things. And to hammer this point home, Paul begins to use even stronger language. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, For Christ's sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish is this Greek word skubalone. It means garbage, but more literal, it means refuse. It means body waste. And for those that think the Bible skirts around using strong language, Paul here in his edginess is saying all those other things in life are literal crap compared to knowing Christ. Nothing else compares. He's driving home this point that knowing Christ is greater than anything we can hold on to in our lives. A couple weeks ago after some hard days, Uh, we were finally able to get our kids out of the house and we decided to take them out for breakfast. And as we drove through this blizzard to arrive at a pancake house, we had the restaurant all to ourselves because no one else was stupid enough to drive in a snowstorm for pancakes. But when we got there, our kids ordered their pancakes and as these plates full of pancakes arrived in front of them, all conversations ceased. And our kids began to just pile away these pancakes. And, and we're just looking in amazement. We feed you guys. Actually, most meals, we're begging you to eat. And yet here we are, and you're shoving these pancakes into your mouth. And in between bites, our daughter looked up, and she looked at Brooke, and she said, Mom, your pancakes are good, but these pancakes are great. Please, may I have another one? And she began to shovel it into her mouth. Because in their mind, nothing compared in this moment to the greatness of this food that they were eating. And I think that once you've tasted, as Paul is saying, the greatness of knowing Christ, everything else in our lives just doesn't add up to it anymore. Sure, is it satisfying? But it's not fulfilling. Sure, does it make me feel good in this moment? Yes, but it doesn't compare to what Christ is doing in my life. It satisfies but doesn't fulfill. It tastes good, but it isn't earth-altering. Verse 9, Paul says, And we are to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Gain is not found in what you earn, but gain is found in the faith, the faith of knowing that in Christ uh, we share in what he has done for us. That in Christ, when we have faith in what he has done, it leads us into this life of reaping the benefits of this status in him. We are to find joy not in what you value, but you're to find joy in what you believe in Christ. Again, this is freeing to us. It's to say we're not to let the present circumstances, good or bad, lead us to living either in joy or misery, but we're to find joy right now in knowing Christ. Spirit over status, knowing Christ over gain. Uh, Lastly, Paul says we are to find joy not in the present, but we are to find joy in becoming like Christ. And this is the process that we've talked about at the beginning, not in our present time, but in where Christ is leading and shaping us to be. Listen, as Paul continues in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the key verse for our sermon series in Philippians, becoming like him. If we are to find joy in our lives, it can't be wholly dependent on what is occurring right now in our present moment. Because if we do, we'll continually live in the ups and downs of what the present dictates in our life. But the stability of joy that Paul is calling us into is not circumstantial. It's a joy that begins to fill our entire life. It's a joy that is found in this process of becoming like Christ. And here is the eye-opening thing about this passage. Paul says that we are to become like Christ, and he says we're to become like him in his death. And he goes even further, and he says we are are to share in his suffering. Uh, Philippians is a letter of encouragement It says rejoice, but what Paul is saying is rejoice not in the ease and relaxation, but we are to be people who rejoice in the suffering. We're to be a people who rejoice in sharing in Christ's death. And I want to point this out, that this is not written in a way to glorify suffering. Paul isn't saying seek out suffering Uh, Make sure you have this mark in your life. But what he's saying is, no, we are to let this rejoicing carry us through suffering. We are to enter suffering knowing that it is just part of the process that causes us to become more and more like Christ. And in this section of this passage, there's two words that really stick out. Paul gives us guidance on how we are to, to rejoice in the suffering. And he uses these two words, power and fellowship. First, he says that we are to know the power of Christ's resurrection. To know that we are being led into this future of hope that is marked by not Christ's death being the end, but leading us into this resurrection, into this hope of eternal life with him. And it's this power of of knowing this resurrection that leads us to have fellowship in the present, 
Uh, Paul says that we are to share in Christ's suffering. This same word for share is the word used in Acts 2.42 to talk about the fellowship of the early church, how they shared in all things. And Paul says that we are to have fellowship with Christ's suffering. Uh, And as we have this fellowship, it's not centered around avoiding pain, but it's about entering into it with this knowledge that we are being led into the power of the resurrection. Rejoice. Rejoice that we have life in Christ. And in the present moment, this can persevere us in our suffering, in our moments of hardship, because we are led into the power of the resurrection. And it's this future vision that leads us through the present, not to minimize our present moments, but it's this future vision that begins to shape us as people who set our hearts and our hopes not on what we can achieve on our own, but in this faith of trusting that God is already working through us and he will lead us through this difficulty. It gives us endurance to be able to go on with our eyes towards not only today, but towards tomorrow. Verse 11, Paul says that by any means, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We're to find joy, not in the present, but we're to find joy in the eternal. And that's the vision that Paul keeps giving us. Don't seek to find your fulfillment in joy right now, but let the, pre- the future vision of the eternal shape us here today. And this is the process of becoming like Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that just occurs in an instant. But it's a process of setting our eyes towards this future vision of hope. And it guides us along in our present. Uh, To rejoice not only when things finally calm down. But to rejoice in the midst of the storm. Because... You're in this process of becoming more and more like Christ in the small and in the large moments. And so we celebrate the big moments of our life. We celebrate when we get the job, when we get the house, when the pregnancy test comes back positive, when you find the one, when the diagnosis comes back clear. We celebrate these big moments and they bring real joy. But at the same time, we rejoice in the small movements of our life. We rejoice in the ongoing safety amongst a continual storm. You rejoice in the appreciation of community that cares for you in a time of hardship. You rejoice in the faithfulness of God in a time where you fall short. Because we press on towards where God is leading us. Let me conclude by reading verses 12 through 14. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the epic upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the process we are invited into. We are called to rejoice. But rejoicing is not found in the instant gratification 
of God working in our time. But it's trusting that he is moving these big things forward ahead of us. And so we cheer when another small chunk of ice in our life begins to move away with this knowledge that God is working in these small moments and that every time we turn to God in faith, we are becoming like Christ day after day. Stand with me.